I'm not big on making graphics with pictures and images, but a little bit earlier we read Psalm 2, and I'm going to read part of that again, and as I'm reading it, I want you to imagine, you can close your eyes if you want, you can leave them open, I want you to imagine images of the stories that you have been seeing on the news and on the internet and in all these different places where information is coming to us about how broken our world is. I want you to imagine Vladimir Putin speaking about the invasion of the Ukraine. I want you to imagine the shooter at the elementary school in Texas and the brokenness of those families. I want you to imagine anything that comes to mind that might make you feel afraid or make you be worried or draw your thoughts away from the words that I'm about to read. Imagine them as I'm reading them, and then think about how these words speak to that brokenness in our world. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth, and I might add not just the kings, but little people too, set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. If you had your Bible open, you could skip to the very next Psalm, Psalm 3. Don't do that. But if you were to do that, you would see that Psalm 3 comes with a title. Psalm 3, before you get into the actual text of the psalm, says a psalm of David. So David wrote it when he fled from Absalom, his son. So David wrote it during that time that he was in an exile from Jerusalem, fleeing in the wilderness from his son Absalom. But Psalm 2 has no title or inscription. Psalm 2 does not tell us who wrote it or the occasion on which it was written, except we know because it doesn't say here, but it does say elsewhere. In Acts chapter 4, the apostle Peter said that the sovereign Lord who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them spoke these words, the words of Psalm 2, by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David. So now we not only have the human author, David, the psalmist, the shepherd king of Israel, we also have this beautiful statement about the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because Peter tells us David wrote it, but it was the Holy Spirit who was speaking. It was the Holy Spirit who wanted us to have these words, so he inspired David. David wrote it down, and it has been passed on through the centuries to the church. Regarding the occasion for this psalm, not the occasion of the writing itself, 
but the occasion of which this psalm speaks, Paul said in Acts 13, and we bring you the good news. Now that would be the gospel. We bring you the good news that what God has promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So now we know that David wrote it. We also know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the occasion, it is the event that is described in this Old Testament reading from the book of Psalms and also in our Old Testament reading from the book of Daniel chapter 7. In Psalm 2, the father said to the son, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That speaks to the resurrection. But he goes on to say, ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. We had a pastor back in Georgia, and I know I've told this story to the High River congregation before, but very often when he would refer to this psalm, he would say, and trust me, brothers and sisters, when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God the Father in heaven, he did not forget to ask. And we know that's true. The son did not neglect to ask. That's why Daniel wrote a few centuries in advance of that event. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. When Jesus Christ, the Son of God, rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father, he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And you know this, even if you've never been a big fan of the book of Daniel, because you've heard about it in the Gospel of Matthew. It is, in fact, the basis for the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. And I know that you have all heard that. When Jesus came to his disciples and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, because of that, go and make disciples of all nations. And in each instance here, in Psalm 2, in Daniel 7, in Matthew chapter 28, and in 1 Corinthians 15, we are talking about Jesus Christ. He is the son of Psalm 2. He is one like a son of man in Daniel chapter 7. That was, in fact, his favorite title for himself. He called himself the son of man more often than he called himself anyone, anything else, and, and that's not a coincidence. And Jesus Christ is the risen Christ of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In all of these texts, we're talking about Jesus and Contrary to popular opinion, in all of these texts, 
we are talking about the here and now. The old hymn by Isaac Watt, from which I took the title of this message, states, Jesus shall reign. You know it. Jesus shall reign where'er the sun does its successive journeys run. But Watt did not use that phrase, Jesus shall reign, in the sense that Jesus shall reign someday, because he's not reigning now. The whole basis for the Great Commission to make disciples of the nations is this reality highlighted by Jesus when he said, all authority in heaven and on earth. That's a pretty comprehensive statement, if you stop to think about it. There is no other authority other than all authority in heaven and on earth. And Jesus said, it has been, past tense, it has been given to me. And if it was past tense when Jesus spoke those words 2,000 years ago, it remains past tense now. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has been given all authority. He has been given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. This is the word of the Lord. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So Jesus shall reign because Jesus does reign. And according to 1 Corinthians, he will do so until, not after, but until he has put all his enemies under his feet. It doesn't say there's going to come a day when all of the enemies of God and Jesus have been put beneath Jesus' feet, and then Jesus will reign. We'll see in a few minutes it says quite the opposite of that. It says he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. In other words, his reign, his rule as King of kings and Lord of lords began at his own resurrection and ascension and it cannot and will not end until he returns in glory and we ourselves are raised up with him. Jesus reigns now and he, not someday, and he reigns here, not somewhere over the rainbow, we saw it in Psalm 2, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Jesus said his kingdom was not of this world because it wasn't going to be given to him by any human authority. It was going to be given to him by his father. He did not say my kingdom is not in this world because it very definitely is. The Father said to the Son, I will give you the nations for your heritage and the ends of the earth for your possession. Or as it says in the 110th Psalm, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Again, Jesus does not rule 
after all of his enemies have been subdued. He reigns in the midst of them. He rules now with a rod of iron, and he will continue to do so until they have been made a footstool for his feet. Jesus Christ is Lord. It's not that he will be someday. He is Lord right here, right now. This is the gospel. This is the good news of the kingdom of God that we proclaim boldly against all opposition. Jesus Christ is Lord. When we speak into the troubles and the struggles and the trials and all the violence and terrible things that are going on in the world, this is our message. Jesus Christ is Lord. And the only way there will ever be peace is when that message has been proclaimed to the nations and the nations have come to bow the knee at the feet of the one who was given a name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We will not bring peace or justice or righteousness to this world through social action, we will bring it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord and head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. And he is Lord of the nations, all the nations. Vladimir Putin may not know it, but Jesus Christ is his Lord too. And if he continues to refuse to bow the knee today, there will come a time when he will. And that will not be the beginning of his best life. So let the nations rage, and the kings of the earth and its rulers take counsel together against him. The Lord enthroned in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He has set his king on Zion, his holy hill. He has set Jesus Christ as king over the universe and head over all things to the church. And he will not be mocked. And he will not be ignored. And he will never, never, never fail to accomplish his most holy, wise and powerful, preserving and governing all of his creatures and all their actions for his own glory. For he, the Lord Christ, must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. And when the last enemy, death, has been utterly destroyed through the resurrection of the dead, when those who belong to him have been made alive at his coming, 1 Corinthians says that's not the beginning of the reign of Christ. Then comes the end. When he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. Jesus shall reign because he does. And he will reign here and now because he does. This is the promise of God that was sealed by the resurrection and ascension of Christ to the right hand of the Father. Now what's that got to do with us? Aside from the obvious, Jesus is Lord. 
That speaks to pretty much every question we might have. But also in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul wrote, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. If we have come to know God through faith in Jesus Christ by his sovereign grace, we have been made alive with Christ. We have been made alive with him, and not only that, we have been raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And of course, that's a whole nother sermon, as they say. But speaking of the coming ages, I want to wrap this up tonight where Paul wrapped it up in 1 Corinthians 15, because he was talking about the resurrection and the ascension and the reign of Christ. But he goes on to talk about eternity after that, because all of this is truly only the beginning. 1 Corinthians Verses 50 through 58, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We, we won't all be dead. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. All of that is to say that at the resurrection of the dead, when Christ returns and we are raised immortal and incorruptible to be with him, then the last enemy is finally put to death and made subject to him. Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christus vincit, Christus regnat, Christus imperat. Christ has conquered, Christ reigns, and Christ commands. Jesus Christ is Lord. Therefore, my beloved brothers... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.